The coming of the new day calls us to anticipate God's dawn. The day of God's dawning is like a morning star rising. We are eyewitnesses to God's majesty. We have seen God's presence in the stories of Jesus. Look up and do not be afraid. Jesus, who you seek, is transfigured before you. We are accepted as God's own children. Happy are those who take refuge in God. Amen. God, in the transfiguration of your Son, you confirmed the mysteries of the faith by the witness of Moses and Elijah, and in the voice from the bright cloud you foreshadowed our adoption as your children. Make us with the King heirs of your glory, and bring us to enjoy its fullness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Maybe see. Lesson today comes from Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day he called to Moses. He called Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The word of the Lord. The epistle lesson for this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will. 
but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Word of God, word of life. The Holy Gospel lesson according to St. Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Have you ever been to the top of a mountain where it seems like you can see forever? Yes. Have you ever been to the top of a mountain where you've seen its sweeping beauty? A 360 view. Clouds and sun and wind. Sometimes when you're on top of a mountain, it seems like you can see forever. You can see visions of beauty in an unforgettable way. Amazing visions of the beauty of all that God has created. Often you don't need to be on a mountaintop to have what some people call a mountaintop experience, often religious, but not exclusively so. But even the non-religious ones often get attributed to the hand of the Lord because of how amazing and wonderful the experience appears to be. Who else could be possibly who could possibly be responsible for it, right? I would define these kind of mountaintop experiences as those special times when you see with utmost clarity who God is, at least who God is for you. You know those times when there's no fog, no haze, no trees, no obstructions, and there for just a moment in that mountaintop experience when you seem to see with utter clarity a vision of who God really is for you or who God is calling you to be. A feeling that the vision is your vision of who God is for your life and your everything about your life. 
It doesn't have to be on a mountaintop. It can be anywhere or at any time, often when least expected or in the middle of the hardest thing you've ever experienced. It's okay, too, if you've not had one, an experience like this, too. It doesn't mean that God isn't with you or anything of the sort. All of our faith journeys are different. So, a story. <laughs> um, the stole happens to be the right color for today. Um, I actually have another stole that's the wrong color, but it's from Mount Tabor, which is the, the, mount, the mountain that we're talking about today with the Transfiguration. This stole happens to come from Joel's stole, Joe's stole shop in Jerusalem. <laughs> it was given to me, it was a gift to me from my friend, the Reverend Robert Pryor. Bob is 80, is no, he just turned 90. He still is very active and until very recently he was still preaching. And um, we were on a trip together with a board that I serve on. And we were at the mount, um, at, on the top of Mount Tabor. Another quick aside about this, another gentleman that was with us that day, George Shallaby, a wonderful Palestinian Christian who lived in Sauk City, Wisconsin for a good portion of his life. Um, They celebrated his life yesterday. He died about two weeks ago. So this is also being worn in honor of both of those wonderful men that I had the privilege of serving with. But Bob did an amazing thing for us. When we were on top of Mount Tabor, I told some of the, the leadership a part of this story on Wednesday night at our meeting. We were standing up on the top of the mountain, and as happens up on top of mountains sometimes, you could look out and see the clouds swirling around, literally swirling around. And it was sunny over here, and there were these ominous-looking clouds coming at us from this side. So, of course, we didn't stand in the sun. We stood looking at these swirling clouds. Unknown to us, um, the four or five of us that were standing there, Bob had snuck up behind us. And he's one of those old school preachers who has the booming preacher voice. (laughs) And so Bob snuck up behind us. And Bob read this scripture that I just read for you. While it was swirling around and we knew we were on top of that same mountain. But we were with people that we care about a lot. And we were there advocating by more people that we cared a lot about in Israel-Palestine. And so it made this whole thing into one of those kind of mountaintop experiences on top of a mountain, for goodness sake. So that's my context when I go to this, this text. I can't help but tell you that story because that's the mountaintop experience about this mountaintop. So back to the topic at hand. In Holy Scripture, the fundamental mountaintop experience in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, is called a theophany. Uh Uh-oh, there he goes with those big words, Greek words. Theo, meaning God in the Greek language, and epiphany, meaning revelation. So we get God revelation, a theophany. The story comes in the Old Testament lesson from this morning that on the mountaintop, Sheila read it so well for you, the prophet Moses saw this clear, clear revelation of God. Moses was on the mountain, the mountain named Mount Sinai, much taller than Mount Tabor and down to the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt because they were still in exile in Egypt. And there were ominous black clouds swirling around the mountain. Sound familiar? There was flashing lightning and the thunder was shaking the ground. 
We are told that in the lightning and the thunder, Moses was talking to God. What about that? In ancient times, it was, they thought you would turn to dust if you saw, if you looked at God. And to this day, many of our Jewish brothers and sisters will never utter the word God because they don't believe that they're good enough to do that. So for Moses to talk to God was just like crazy. Think about some scene from Star Wars, maybe. Or when Moses came down from the mountain, it was like Moses' face shone like the sun, they said. His face was shining like the sun because Moses had had this mountaintop experience and he had talked to God. Moses walked down the mountain with what? The Ten Commandments. And also a plan to build the ark to carry the commandments around. Now all of you more seasoned citizens can think Cecil B. DeMille, the epic called the Ten Commandments, right? (laughs) Moses was transporting this moral law for the human race. Moses had had this vision. Moses saw with utter clarity what this moral law meant for the earth. While we have Moses in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture on the mountain, the New Testament, the Christian gospel, also has a mountaintop story and the report of a mountaintop religious experience. On the mountaintop, people see with utter clarity the truth about God. And Moses was there again, too. In the New Testament, and particularly in today's gospel lesson, this mountaintop experience is called the transfiguration. It's the mountaintop story for today. While on that mountain, Mount Tabor, which I just told you a little bit about, it's located in the lower Galilee region of Israel, at the eastern end of the Jezreel Valley, 11 miles west of the Sea of Galilee, and 5 miles east of Nazareth. This time, the eyes of the disciples, at least the three that were with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the eyes of these disciples were, as one commentary puts it, dazzled with visionary ecstasy. Jesus was transfigured before them. He utterly changed before their eyes. Transfigured, transformed. Another Greek word to describe what happened that we still use regularly, a metamorphosis occurred. Meta meaning change and morphos meaning form. Jesus' form was literally changed. Changed the way he looked right in front of their eyes. Like a cocoon is transfigured into a butterfly, like a flower bulb that goes through a metamorphosis into a lovely spring daffodil. This is where the human Jesus of Nazareth was transfigured into Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Transfigured, transformed, a metamorphosis into the one called the Son of God. Jesus went through this enormous transformation on this mountaintop. The disciples had a vision of this, and in the vision, they could truly see who Jesus really was, the Son of God. To recap, in the vision, there was Moses, the great lawgiver of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments guy. In this vision, there was also Elijah, one of the greatest prophets, one of the greatest Jewish prophets. The law and the prophets, the two essential parts of the Hebrew scripture we sometimes call the Old Testament. God seems to be saying this amazing story, far more important than the laws of the Old Testament, and far more important than the prophets of the Old Testament, is the importance of my son, Jesus. And God clearly is saying, listen to him. Suddenly, this great spectacle of light and sights and sounds, and all was gone as quickly as it appeared. The vision was gone. The vision disappeared, and there was Jesus, still there but different. 
visions. Visions are those rare moments in life when there's no fog, no haze, no trees, no obstructions. A place where you can clearly see the truth about God, the truth about Jesus, the truth about our belief, the truth about our faith. So let's talk about these visions for a few minutes. Visions are those moments of clarity when you know, you know intuitively that something is true. That's the, the kind of vision I'm talking about. Visions are not hallucinations. Visions are, that I'm talking about here are not fantasies. Visions are those special moments in life when you see something with utter clarity and you know that it is beyond the shadow of a doubt absolutely true, at least true for you. Visions still happen today. Do you believe that? I do. With my whole heart. God has put each one of you on this earth for a reason. You have a purpose and you perhaps have surrendered yourself to that purpose. Or maybe it's several purposes. To love that child. To love that grandchild. To raise that family. To do as well as you can do in school. To take care of your mother and your father who first took care of you. To watch your grandchildren because both parents need to work today. To be that teacher, that plumber, that engineer. To go that extra mile and get your hands dirty helping others or helping your church. You have perhaps had that moment where somewhere in your life you know for sure that God has given you both the will and the way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Visions, moments of truth where there's no fog, no haze, no trees, no obstructions. Moments of truth where you see your God and just what God sends your way. What the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, witnessed on top of that mountain is at least unexpected and in a way disturbing for them, at least at first. You see, at the top of the mountain before those apostles, Jesus does not appear with Aaron the priest who was the great interpreter of the law. Jesus doesn't appear with David, the king, the defender of the state. No, Jesus doesn't appear with symbols of royalty or ritualism or organized religion. Jesus does not appear with symbols of power and might. Jesus appears to those apostles with Moses and Elijah the prophets. Moses who led the people out of oppression and into the light of the promised land. Elijah the prophet whom the powerful and mighty king Ahab called, get this one, the trouble of Israel. Not those quiet law-abiding folks who quietly and carefully carry out their work. The gospel short story shows us that Peter, in your name and in my name, opted for what he thought God wanted. Religious institutions, temples, and religious shrines. Remember he said he was going to build something for Moses and Jesus and, and Elijah up there on the mountain. Peter seemed to be advocating for a religion that was not of this world. But the scripture story tells us that before Jesus could, Peter could finish speaking, God interrupted and said, listen to him. Then something that we too often forget, the portion of the gospel lesson that is often overlooked and often not even read. A very, at the very moment when it would seem that Jesus is emphasizing the mystical and transcendent dimensions of religion with this great light show on top of the mountain, Jesus himself takes the apostles' vision away. Away from the private religious show up on the mountain. The privatization of their religion and brings them quickly, quickly back to the reality of meeting the ones who need them the most in the town. In the town at the foot of the mountain. Not on top of it. At the foot of the mountain. At the bottom of the mountain. 
You see, when these disciples get to the bottom of the mountain, Jesus takes them to the man whose son was possessed by a demon. Jesus takes them to the hurting people, to unbelieving officials, to the ineffective institutions that are supposed to be serving but are not, to all of the trouble in the real world all around them. Sound familiar? But it was in Jesus' time, too. Then and now, real religion is not about building temples and maintaining shrines. It's not about the institution or the building or how nice the building looks or the amount of fundraising or the value of the church's bank accounts. Real religion is about healing hurts, about speaking for the least of these, for the poor, for the helpless, for the oppressed, for the voiceless and for the forgotten. Being with the least of these, with the poor, with the helpless, with the oppressed, with the voiceless and with the forgotten. And remember, all of those that I just mentioned... In God's eyes are children of God, created in the image and with the likeness of God, just like you and me. Real religion is not about folks who are silent. Real religion, the scripture insists, is not about transcending life. Real religion is about transforming lives, transforming our life, transforming your life, and transforming my life, and transforming the lives of those around us. Not only with words, but also with actions, especially with our actions. The gospel of transfiguration calls us to become enlightened, calls us to change our attitudes. Real religion, you see, does not call us to be the rational religion that so many of us like because it makes us feel good. Real religion calls us to the challenges of the Beatitudes and Micah 6.8, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. We are challenged to become peacemakers, not peace watchers, not peace contemplators, but peacemakers. Calls us to, seek, to, to seeking miracles for those in need. Calls us to begin and acting as those who truly seek irrational love and the burning justice of God. That's what transfiguration is all about. That's what real religion is all about. Changing, transforming, transfiguring. A true metamorphosis of ourselves so that we can change, transform, transfigure the rest of the world. It's told that once upon a time a group of disciples asked an elder, Does your God work miracles? The elder said, Well, it depends on what you mean by a miracle. Some people say it's a miracle that God does the will of the people. We say it's a miracle when the people do the will of God. Unquote. What's the role of religion in society? Private refuge or public presence? How does our religious selves inform our public selves? Are you, am I, the same person here at church that we are when we go into, to, to, to work? When each of us socialize with our friends, when we're out in the community where you live? Do you ever compromise what you think is right just to keep your children happy or your friends happy? Or because you think you might lose your job if you don't go along even though you know it isn't right? Are there other ways you compromise? Do you just buy the the line of the news media or the tabloids in whatever direction the news media or the tabloids happen to be tilted that day or the one that you're listening to and miss the real suffering in the world and the real concerns of the world? Do you just listen to politicians, the good ones and the bad ones, the ones you agree with and the ones you don't agree with, the ones you voted for and the ones you didn't vote for? Do you blindly believe or do you apply the standard of what you know to be the teachings of Jesus, the witness of the one who redeems and saves and calls for peace? 
And then what do you do? Just sit back and hope it all works out and it will all pass? Or do you think critically, apply your faith, the knowledge of your faith, and attempt to cause, to bring about a change, a transformation, a metamorphosis, a transfiguration? Transfiguration means as we hold true to our Christian faith and our ethical underpinnings, it means that we must also retain our compassion and love for all of our siblings, all who are created in the image and the likeness of God, all shades of skin color, all faith communities, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, all kinds of shapes of Christians. Transfiguration means that the role of religion demands enlightenment, demands that we are, we are be brought to a full awareness of life, all of life, not just our little safe corner of the world. The role of religion is to transform the world, to come to see the world as God sees the world, and to bring it as close to the vision of God as we possibly can. Why? Scripture is very clear. What God changes, God changes through us. One more time, what God changes, God changes through us. Jesus may have told Peter, James, and John that they were not to tell anyone about what they saw on the mountain. But listen carefully to verse 9 and 10 again. It says, as they were coming down, in other words, Peter, James, and John were coming down from the mountain. Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision. Until when? Until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So did that happen yet? Of course it did. Jesus had not yet been tried and had not yet been tortured and had not yet been crucified. And most significantly, Jesus had not yet been resurrected. But now he has. The difference is that when we read this story today, we know that Jesus, the Son of Man, was risen from the dead. So we cannot be silent. We do not have to be silent. I would dare say we must not be silent. So with all of that in mind, may God give each of you the joy of spiritual vision. Spiritual vision that prepares each of us to be transfigured over and over and over again. So that we might change, that we might morph into all that God, that is expected of each of us. So that means no more mountaintop secrets. The mountaintop confirms who Jesus is. And because we know Jesus Christ rose again and lives in each of our lives, we also know what Jesus expects us to do. So get ready. Go do it. You don't have any more excuses. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to our God. Our God who is our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Amen. praying the prayer that Jesus himself taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
And now hear these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now and always and unto ages of ages. Amen.